Welcome to Build on Seeking Wisdom. This is Maggie, as always, here to dig up and share the absolute best in secrets in building and scaling products and product teams. And I'm really excited because today I have an absolute OG in the product world, Pratima Aurora. She's the head of product at Confluence. She spent a bunch of years at Salesforce, started off at Intuit, basically someone who has seen a lot happen in the world of SaaS. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Maggie. Super pumped to be here. Awesome. So I just want to start quickly with, you started as a software engineer back in the day, and now you're the head of product at Confluence. Like, how did you get here? How did you get started? And like, what what made you switch to product in the first place? Sure. Yeah, I, I'll go even a little bit further in my, you know, in my journey. I was, I grew up as a geek at heart, uh, loved doing math puzzles, started coding very early on, and there was something about solving problems that always resonated with me. Um, I started my career early as a software engineer at Intuit, as you mentioned, was my first job out of college. And it was fascinating because my first week and uh, the on, one of the onboarding exercises was uh, for us to literally follow me home or follow a customer home. And I'm going to totally mm-hmm. date myself here. <laughs> but uh, there used to be a store called Circuit City that existed at that time. If anybody oh, remembers, wow. yep. And uh, and we didn't have SaaS as much. This is, gosh, eighteen years ago. And um, everything it was shrink wrap software, so people would buy to store and buy a CD and take it home and install it. And this is like the pure as you can get to customer discovery. Uh, we would stand behind those boxes of shelves in Circuit City, and then we'll see people mm-hmm. come and pick up those boxes. And then once they were ready to check out, we would literally follow them and say, hey, tap on their shoulder. Uh, we saw you were just going to buy this. Can we come see how you're experiencing it? And we'll pay you uh, 100 bucks. And this was QuickBooks. And uh, some people would absolutely think we were freaks and say no. And some people would let us come. Uh, And this is small businesses, a mom and pops in their bedrooms, garages, a little creepy, uh, but we (laughs) totally follow them. Uh, We'll drive behind them, get to their uh, little small business hood they had and see them actually open the box to install the CD and how did they get onboarded and really use the product was mostly around observation and very few questioning will ask them to think out loud, but it just opened my mind and blew my mind around how people uh, use your software uh, or what you build in the room. And I was just so fascinated with that world uh, that um, when I, be- I actually made me become a better engineer because I would go back and tell my mm-hmm. product manager, I can actually solve this better because I know what the problem is. Your spec is, you know, great, but uh, this is going to be a faster solution. And I thought I could solve problems at a more meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And I loved interacting with customers. And it was just, I was solving problems, but at a different level. And I thought I could get that massive scale by being in product. Um, that was my journey into the product. Didn't get my first job at Intuit, actually. Uh, applied for it, lost it to an MBA from Howard. Yeah. And um, I actually had the courage to ask why. And my feedback from my mentor and the hiring manager was that I didn't talk enough. Uh, Boy, I've overcome that one now. (laughs) Wait, this was for your first engineering job or product job? My first product job. So engineer, I was already there. I got a mentor and I was wanting to turn into product. So I found all sorts of, you know, projects to work on as a product manager on my side on top of my engineering job. And then when the position opened up, I applied for it. 
with an Intuit mm-hmm. and um, lost it to a marketing person. It was an entry-level PM job uh, who had an MBA and also, I guess, talked more than I did. Yeah, as a Harvard MBA myself, I apologize for us. Uh, we do talk a lot. <laughs> but it sounds like you, everything worked out, so... Everything worked out. But, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest learning out of that, and then if people are listening, is I got the courage to ask, right? Mm-hmm. And it was not too bad because it was internal. So I had the opportunity to ask, and I'm so glad I did because I, uh, it was hard. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It wasn't. But at that point, it felt like just going and saying, hey, why did I not get the job? And what mm-hmm. was missing uh, was so bigger learning and, you know, just getting feedback, things like, hey, you were holding back or didn't yep. share your opinions as much or and I was a woman and an engineer who had mm-hmm. to be in, that was double gammy and had to be 100% sure to speak up my mind mm-hmm. and I think that has changed over time uh, we don't need to check all the boxes uh, for a lot of things in our life and yeah. I think we all of us fall in that uh, category sometimes oh my god I need to be perfect or I need to know everything I got my first job outside into it at SAP. It was a little startup, actually, that Shai Agassi, who ended up building uh, the car company, if anybody knows that, uh, he was running a little startup in Palo Alto office. And we were 20 people, and I was one of the first PMs on that job. And uh, we launched the beta. Mm-hmm. And it was great experience. It was like we had the funding, and we had a small team, a lot of engineering in Tel Aviv. And we launched the beta. I was doing everything possible. But it's odd. I had kind of a little mini startup experience in a big company. And then he left and they killed our project, which was a bummer. Uh, but I got such a breadth of product experience from taking a product from inception all the way to beta and getting customers on it. It was uh, fascinating. I gave myself a few more months at SAP. It just didn't, was not the, the Uber SAP was not right for me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up joining Salesforce. This was 10 years ago now. Yeah. So what was Salesforce like 10 years ago? Because we, you know, we all know it now as the huge incumbent <laughs> in the space. But you know, what was it like ten years ago? It was this little tiny company. You would not imagine it was right. Yes. So uh, it was still three thousand people when I joined. It had gone IPO a year before, so it was not like it was a startup, right? So, right. but the fascinating thing that people don't know about Salesforce is uh, only ten percent of people and budget goes to R and D. Wow. Only ten percent. It's a software company, but only 10% goes to R&D. So 90% of the company would ask me what it is. It's sales, marketing, support, yep. and all the other finance and other functions. So we had a very lean team. So the whole R&D team that included ops, as in DevOps, maintaining servers, and because we own, host our, every, our own cloud, was 300 people. For the whole, for all of sales. 300 people. All of Salesforce, 300 people in R&D, everything. And that included not only engineering, DevOps too. Mm-hmm. So I think engineering team was like less than 175 or 200. Wow. And we were less than 20 PMs. And at one, and when I joined, we were like less of handful of PMs on sales cloud. And so was one of the few, I think three or four PMs on sales cloud when I started. Mm-hmm. And then we also became a little smaller when we started investing in a chatter, if you know, Salesforce went through a big one. So I was one of the few app PMs on the team, mm-hmm. gosh, 10 years ago. It was really, I knew everybody on the product management wow. team, probably on the development team too. Yeah, And we all fit in one building on one market on three floors, uh, the R&D did. 
And um, we were quite nimble. I think Salesforce has always been nimble around R&D. So we always had a small team making a big impact. And um, it was it was great experience to start there because saw like 10x growth or 9x growth in nine years I was there. Mm-hmm. So that team went from my, it was the overall company went from 3,000 to 27,000 when I left. Wow. And my team of three or four went from to 30. Ended up hiring 20 myself probably out of that yeah. uh, over the years. And we went from Sales Cloud because I was primarily on Sales Cloud, but Sales Cloud also did the most, uh, was big, because of the flagship product, ended up had to be ahead of the market. Mm-hmm. So we ended up picking up some of the most uh, innovative or the being the first people like leading the charge on those creative projects. So I ran mobile in 2010 when mobile had just gotten a scratch on uh, or it was just a thing uh, only for consumer business. I ran that for two years before we said mobile should be for every team. Uh-huh. Then I land, uh, led the charge for Lightning, which was redoing the user experience yep. for Sales Cloud. Yep. I mean, I wasn't going to bring up the user experience, but now that you bring it up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then the last one was uh, Einstein, where uh, before I left, I had launched Sales Cloud Einstein. That was a great nine years with just the massive scale and growth. And uh, seeing a company ride that wave was amazing. Yeah. And now I'm at actually Atlassian. I run Confluence, and that was a big and an exciting shift because Atlassian is such a unique company in so many ways. Not a lot of people know about it, uh, which is uh, fascinating. Atlassian products are known more than the company. If you think people would know Jira and Confluence yeah. and Trello, yeah, uh, versus the Atlassian brand, mm-hmm. but it's 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 a fascinating company when we think about because it's a I think what attracted me to Atlassian was its mission and business model. And the mission was to really unleash the potential of every team mm-hmm. and uh, through open work. And there are so many ways of achieving that. And their business model was uh, they do that without salespeople. So it was a totally polar opposite to Salesforce. Yeah. So is it is it much more R&D focused than Salesforce? Like what's the percentage shift? You know, you said it was only 10% going to R&D. So what is it at Atlassian? So Atlassian is, uh, I think, 35, 36% R&D versus 10%. Wow. So much more R&D focused. So it's fun. And it's actually a very product-led company, I, I would mm-hmm. say, versus a sales-led company, which was very fascinating. And um, just a little thing around Confluence. I don't know if you know about Confluence. Are you a user of Confluence? Yes, we use Confluence here at Drift. Okay. So for people who don't know, because a lot of people don't know Confluence, um, it's this little workspace, you know, open and living workspace where teams can come together, collaborate and really move their work forward. So that was very fascinating. I haven't worked on a horizontal product that really helped all sorts of teams of different sizes and functions. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was so fascinating about it. So that was, that was my journey to uh, Atlassian and now leading Confluence. So that's amazing that you got to see that comp- Salesforce, you know, scale from the size it was to the size it was when you left. And I think you mentioned before when we were chatting that you've also scaled up a team at Confluence as well. So like, what does it take to scale teams like that? And, you know, you hired 20 people at Salesforce, at least the same amount at Confluence. You know, how how do you think about that and how do you go about that problem? You know, yeah, absolutely. So let me, I think I, we had talked previously, but I'll, I'll give a little bit. Uh, Confluence was originally based out of Sydney. 
Mm-hmm. Atlassian is a Sydney headquarter company. And one of the decisions and why did I end up being here in Bay Area was they said, hey, given the talent and the expertise and also to be untapped the market in the Bay Area, they decided to say, hey, Confluence as a product should be based out of the Bay Area. So we are based in Mountain View. And uh, so they moved the product from Sydney and Confluence is a 15-year-old product to Mountain View. Uh, only 20% of the team came with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had to hire the 80% of the team. So in last nine months, I've been here almost 10. Uh, in the first six months, I ended up hiring the whole product team uh, from scratch. I had one person who came from Sydney. Yeah. How do you maintain the culture or did you even want to maintain the culture that it, the team had before? You know, was it was it a good chance to start sort of anew, or is that something that you guys wanted to maintain? I think uh, we absolutely wanted to maintain Atlassian's culture or Atlassian's mm-hmm. values. Uh, right. I don't know if you've ever read them. One of the reasons I am at Atlassian is because of their values. They are unbelievably true, and they kind of resonated with us, uh, at least with me. And I'll just tell you too that. I think about all the time is open company, no bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and that's such an important thing as you think about, it's such an important part of our culture. And the second one is don't fuck the customer. <laughs> Excuse my swear <laughs> word, but that's actually in the in the values. Yeah. So we didn't want to change those values. I think cultures evolve over time as company grows, mm-hmm. but values don't. Right. So we wanted to really keep the value, but make the culture which was true to us in, in the Mountain View office. So we were we were trying to find what was the right culture in the office, but also play playing very nice with Atlassian values. Yeah, that's interesting because I think we call them leadership principles, but we have the same sort of thing. And you know, our first one is put the customer at the center of everything that you do. So it's interesting that it's sort of you you guys have a more creative way of saying that. But I think you know, it's it's awesome just to hear that that's sort of like being echoed across different companies. And, and I feel like I'm here I'm hearing more and more that values. You know, it's not just a thing that the HR team does, but it's like actually really core to how we operate, which is really interesting and something that I don't know if you've seen sort of change over time in your career. No, I I think if a company lands on the values that they are authentic and Mm -hmm. the founders and everybody really believes in, they can become an asset Mm -hmm. for lots of ways, asset for hiring, asset for what you do in your daily lives. How do you make decisions? And also, how do you treat your customers or how do you eat and treat each other? Mm-hmm. So I look at them and, and I think if you ask a lot of people when they'll come and get me on board, I ask them, they're like, oh, I joined Atlassian because of its values and culture. So we hear that over and over again. So it's definitely an asset for us. And they've done it really good. Atlassian has done an awesome job at maintaining them. So you were, you were talking about how you scaled those teams. So how did you approach that hiring challenge? You know, it was amazing opportunity for me because I was like, okay, I was like, okay, I have a blank slate and right. what's the best way to hire a team from scratch? Mm-hmm. And you don't get those opportunities. A lot of times right. you inherit a team or part of the team and it's hard to really go in there and, you know, set the team the way you want it to. So mm-hmm. one of my my goals was to uh, have a very diverse team and uh, diversity, not in terms of just gender or race. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are lo- lots of way, other ways to think about diversity, which I, you know, I, I'm sure you've read it in a lot of people's cognitive diversity. Yeah. How do you bring people from different backgrounds, different strengths in the way they think, in the experiences they have had, 
and different walks of life, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people are really hungry and some people are really thoughtful, like where they are. And how do you balance the maturity of the team too? Some senior people, some junior people, so that you have that really nice mix of maturity and mentorship also going while you're thinking of the team. So that was kind of my goal. So I was like, I really want to achieve diversity, but I also want to achieve diversity in multiple facets, Mm -hmm. uh, not just just on, on, on a few parameters. So I, I'll tell you the results and then we'll go back to how did I approach it. So my, yeah. my team is 50% women. I have uh, PMs from color, uh, from different parts of the country, not just, you know, uh, white men or Asian men. Sometimes you see that a lot too in Bay Area. Yeah. And also people in different walks of their lives. We have some very senior people and some really people who are just starting their career in product mm-hmm. management. People with analytical background, but also some people who have strengths in creativity and design thinking. Mm-hmm. So I, I can talk about two frameworks that I Yeah, used. I want to know, like, how did you, how did you get yeah. them, right? Like, what questions did yeah. you ask? Like, what I take back to our hiring process to use to try to, try to you know, figure out how to get rid of my own biases when we're hiring, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Because it's not easy to do this. God, there's so many thoughts that are going in my mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can keep talking. I hope we have time. Uh, one of yeah. them was even starting at the hiring process, right? And then mm-hmm. first is how do you hire those people? Second is how do you retain those people? Right. And then third comes is how do you grow those people and comes with uh, retention too. Uh, and then also saying is like, I keep hearing, is it lip service that uh, diverse teams are really better or what are the pros and cons of it? So uh, lots of learnings in here. Uh, so let's talk about the hiring process because that's where it starts. Yes. Um, so when you think about the hiring process and something you can actually do is the two tactical things uh, you can uh, you know do tomorrow if you were hiring for a PM. One is mm-hmm. make sure that your job listing is actually neutral and is not biased. Okay. And we use a company called Text- Textio, T-E-X-T-I-O. And what they do is we run all our job postings through them and they will tell you and they'll flag the words that are not like not gender neutral or diverse. So you can just literally run it uh, and they would give you suggestions on how to make your job posting a bit more uh, neutral and less biased. Mm -hmm. So we did that. That's the first thing we did. We made sure all our job postings uh, had gone through that and we had taken all the biases out. The second thing I did was the panel. I wanted to make sure because in my past life I had heard and even sometimes even I hear it all the time that people would be like, oh, I actually didn't feel the connection with all the interviewers, right? So they'll be like, do I fit in this company, right? So one of the challenges is the panel who's interviewing for that job. How do you set that panel to be very diverse? And that means like, are you getting, you know, some obviously some gender some women who are part of your interview panel, let's just be very, you know, fair about it. Women don't come if five men interviewed them. They feel really, right. you know, yeah. just not. <laughs> so let's let's make that a little bit balanced panel. And the third one uh, would be uh, how, not only just in terms of gender and race, but balance in terms of their functions mm-hmm. and their backgrounds. Yep. Uh, if you wanted to hire somebody who can see, hey, you know, there's so much diversity I fit in. A lot of times when you talk to people, definitely they're looking for their awesome opportunity, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, they need to feel excited or they, we spend more time at work, right. living like wake up time at work than at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's true. Yeah. Like, you know, and I even have young kids. I feel like I spend more time 
uh, at my work. So it it's really needs to be important in today's life mm-hmm. to really have that connection and that sense of belonging. Right. So it's not just about making sure that you're evaluating for it, but also giving the candidate a chance to feel that on the panel that they're being interviewed by. Absolutely. And having them feel that like by experiencing it, because it's, right. it's not lip service anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the two tactical things you can do in the beginning of the process, right? So right. make sure your job postings are unbiased and make sure that your panel is diverse. And then once you are evaluating the candidate uh, for product management, this is product management specific. What I'll tell mm-hmm. you what we did was around diversity or just even thinking about it. There is, um, we have a VP of product, Joff Redfern. He's amazing. He actually worked at LinkedIn. He wrote a little triangle uh, and he runs PM Craft here. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are three, if you look at PM types of product managers, and you can draw it on a triangle. Just imagine mm-hmm. it, visualize it. Yep. At the top of the triangle, there are GM skills. And when I say GM, is general management in terms of things like your business acumen. Yep. Uh, on one side of the triangle, you can put analytical skills. So you really need, are you data-driven? Are you uh, results-oriented? Are you analytical? You, people come from different backgrounds there. Yep. And then the third aspect of a good product manager is, is artist, mm-hmm. right? So yep. Are you creative? Are you an artist? And if you and a good product manager is somewhere in the middle, right? <laughs> and has 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 aspects. And as you grow, uh, you come more and more in the middle of that triangle, and your triangle becomes smaller. But in honesty, you we all come from different strengths, right? Mm-hmm. And we all just because of who we are, and uh, and those are just our natural strengths. And how do you play on that? Right. So one one thing to be aware of as you're hiring or even thinking about people, and I I map myself on that track. I'm like, where do I lie? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. in in the, where am I? And what? Yeah, I'm sketching my triangle right now. Okay, where do you lie? Tell me. Um, perfectly in the middle. You know, unicorn. Oh, perfect. The nice. unicorn. Totally. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the single dot in yeah. the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you had to choose two out of the three, which one would you choose? Oh man, I probably would have to put myself in between the GM and data, but I would want to be more like the artist. Yeah. Um, and I, to be honest, I am pretty much there too. I yeah. come from a, as I was saying, a math geek yeah. and I knew that I had to balance a team with some creative artist people. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if over the years I have learned to do design and, you know, right. I can sketch my way through it, but, yeah. uh, that's not my natural strength. And, um, so when I would, I would even make my P when I was hiring, I would make the candidates do it. He was like, Hey, this is a triangle. Where would you put yourself? Huh. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was fun exercise. Towards the end, when they've gone through the interview, I would do it with them because right. I was a hiring manager. Right. And then the idea, just to see where do they put themselves and uh, how do you think about your team? And if you have strengths in all those three aspects mm-hmm. of product management on your team. So I really use that framework to make sure, like at, at one point, I think in the beginning, we got too heavy on analytical and I actually rejected candidates who were analytical heavy. And I'm like, sorry, you're great. Not the right fit for the team. Right. Uh, but then I went with my recruiting team. I was like, I'm, I'm looking for somebody more on the creative designer, mm-hmm. uh, divergent thinking. It's, it's right. not creativity, you know, artist is great, but it's also brings in divergent thinking versus, you know, people who like to convert. So there's so many ways to think. But those were, that triangle really helped me figure out uh, how do I want to, a simple framework to help me, how did I want to hire product managers? So then once you got them in, how did you, you know, you talked about retention and growth. How did you make sure you did that as well? 
So uh, I think we touched on that with the values yeah. uh, a little bit on Atlassian. So let me evaluate on that, uh, elaborate a little bit on that. So Atlassian has uh, a unique value about, as I was saying, open company, no bullshit. But it also is um, really interesting when you think about when you bring a diverse team, they need to feel that they belong there, right? right. The sense yeah. of belonging and the sense of being able to uh, bring your true or authentic self to work mm-hmm. uh, is so important. And um, I can't uh, thank enough <laughs> to Atlassian for being able to develop that and have that in this company. Mm-hmm. So one of the, I'll tell you some tangible examples yeah. here because I think it sounds really fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> I think a, a foundation of that is being open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you really encourage people to be open and how do you connect people who are like each other to each other so that you can see, Hey, this company has diversity people and openness actually fosters that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few things we do is we use our confluence is hundred percent open mm-hmm. besides some of the legal documents and some of the M and A stuff that we don't want the rest of the company to see yeah. <laughs> or get in trouble by seeing it. Yep. Uh, everything else is open. So anybody can go and see what everybody is looking at. So you can see any function, there are no silos, mm-hmm. right? So you can hundred percent, anybody can access anything, but little tiny things that help is we make everybody write a uh, blog or we have a blogging culture or intro blog where people within their first few weeks have to introduce themselves and not work related and they don't need to supposed to be not covering their resume but personally introduce themselves at work uh, like even in my exec ops meeting i used a picture that i had used in my intro blog uh, where i talked about my kids i have two young kids and that's who i am i'm a mom and yep. uh, i really wanted to let them know that i'm a mom and that was so welcome like to our to the credit uh, Mike, who's one of the co-founders, he was, he's like, I suddenly felt I connected to you. Right. Uh, and that is encouraged. That is encouraged. But how do you keep people? So I love that idea of, you know, coming in and introducing yourself and bringing your whole self to work. But, you know, we all, most of us come from different companies and they have different experiences. How do you keep people open? Right. Cause I think, like you said, it's, it sounds kind of fluffy and it feels really good. But like, how do you keep that going when you're sort of in the trenches building and like things get a little tougher? A few thing is, I think the culture reinforces themselves. And mm-hmm. as being leaders, you need to become examples. Right. And if if you don't have, uh, you lead by example in a lot of ways. I can give you an example. One of our leaders who's based out of Austin, who, who you know, runs HipChat and Stride. And he would, uh, he had a really tough time at his personal life at home. And he was so open about it at blogging, at work about, hey, I'm taking nine months off and this is the reason why right and and he leads the whole austin office right so just uh being there and being able to lead by example and then people follow like a ux designer blogged about uh fighting cancer and returning to work seven months later out of sick leave or uh you know that kind of things Mm -hmm. that suddenly butt up a senior developer started blogging about being trans at work and, uh, and you can like a blog. We had f- almost 500 likes on that blog and people awesome. commenting and really opening up. So obviously you have to plant the seed and you have yeah. to keep planting the seed, right? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't happen. In one time I've done it and it's done. Uh, you have to continuously work on it. It's, it's not one and done. It's not just intro blog and done. Yeah. So uh, I think it has to come a lot from the top. It has to come a lot from the culture and getting some of those ambassadors 
uh, on your team who really think about that. The second tactical thing we do is we nobody locks their documents. It just not happens. Like mm-hmm. you don't lock, and you know, given Confluence is open by default. Yeah. Like I don't know if you you've used it, right? You write a page is always open. You have to yeah. actually take steps to lock it. Yeah, we do the same thing. We have a culture of encouraging people to share, show your work and show your work really, really early in the process. And I think that was hard for me when I came in, you know, used to a, a culture before where I had to polish my work before I would put it out. And and here it's sort of, you know, put it on the wiki, share it immediately, share the draft, you know, everything should always be open. And so that was, I mean, for me, that was a little bit of a weird and hard transition. But now that I'm used to working that way, I can't imagine going back because everything's just a, open and available and accessible, which I think makes it easier to get my work done. You got it. You know, and uh, you can build on top of each other's work. Like if right. you polished it and based your three months and somebody's poo-pooed on it or said, hey, right. that was wrong, why, why not get early feedback and build on top of each other's work? Yes, exactly. It's so awesome if you if you do that. So going back, Maggie, to your attention, I think openness and bringing your authentic self is huge about retaining mm-hmm. uh, these people. I think diverse leaders attract diversity too. Yep. The statistics done on it, right? And papers written on this. And this was true with for me at Salesforce. I had more women on my team than any product team in Salesforce. And right. uh, here, I think, especially as product managers, we have more power sometimes. And we think like we have ripple effect. We interact mm-hmm. with so many functions. We are cross-functional. We are always interacting with different units of the business. So mm-hmm. if you have a product team that's div- diverse, you suddenly like having that ripple effect. Like I think we have more engineering uh, women leaders in, in Confluence now who are really standing up and uh, showing up to meetings and leading with example. Uh, similarly mm-hmm. in marketing and you know other functions. Um, and so, you know I, I've seen more people of color, right? And that's just amazing to see that because just because our reach is higher, mm-hmm. I won't say in a different way, but just because we interact with more people, right? Uh, yeah, get to yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, you're right. I think a, a good PM is sort of constantly talking to different parts of the company and interacting with everyone. So it's true that we are probably a little more visible than some other members of a product team might be. Cool. Awesome. So I, I don't want to take up too much more time. Um, we're running into our 30. We try to keep these to like 30 minutes. But, um, you know, I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, how do you, so, you know, you're the head of product for Confluence. You probably have a million things going on. Like, you know, you're scaling your team. You hired the whole new team there in Mountain View. How do you keep up to date and learning in the product sphere, even when you're doing all of that? That's a great question. Um, so how do I keep learning uh, as I am doing and I'm doing that, you know, there are obviously some tactical things that uh, reading really helps me. Uh, everybody learns differently. I try to read a book a month. If I don't get to it, I have two young kids. So it's not only, yeah. by the way, scaling a team. I'm a mom with three and six-year-olds. Right. So I can't read full books anymore. I read abstracts and or I have Audible. If I go work out, I'll just put, plug in a book and I, I'll read it. Uh, reading is like, I'm literally, I'll tell you, I'm reading a uh, an old, old book from 2001, I think, from Positioning. Uh-huh. Uh, we were doing an exercise and I was like, oh, I just need to go a refresher and get that uh, get that book in. Uh, just And I've read it before, but so much different you get. So I think reading really helps me. Yeah. I can do it before I go to bed. Uh, I can do it in lots of ways. It's, it's a great way. Don't get to do as many classes or refreshers that mm-hmm. I could. But if you are, have time. Uh, there's so many classes uh, that you can work on. 
Uh, but a little thing to know, like there is a rubric I look at a PM that needs to be really good at. And we evaluate our product managers on those four skills too. So communication being the foundation. Uh, and I think that's something I'm always trying to improve on and right. just taking opportunities to do that. Then product mastery and delivering outcomes is kind of the meat of our jobs. Yep. And then at the top is leading and inspiring. Mm-hmm. And if you take those four aspects of a rubric of PM skills, I don't work on all four of them, but I would I actually was literally talking to my boss about a Trello board. Uh, we're like, hey, let's pick one of these that I really want to focus on. Yeah, you know, I'm going to pick one of them and just focus on. And it's not that you are. I think we all are. Uh, as even if you made it into product management, you go, you're good at. You met the basic bar of all four. Right. Uh, but right. all of us are different, and so and mm-hmm. in different parts of our life, we need to work on different things. So just I have a Trello board. I'll tell you, I maintain it. I am religious about going there <laughs> every week and seeing. Have I really made progress on what I told myself I will? So discipline, mm-hmm. which is very hard to get, and prioritization, which is the core of who we are, uh, helps me helps me learn. I don't do as many classes. I listen more online and offline as much as I can do. That's awesome. I think we we love reading and rediscovering things that were written a long time ago. I think especially when you think about like the first principles of people and how they make decisions, that doesn't change really. And so I think as a PM, you know, we have to understand who people are. And so I find when I go back and read a book that might seem like it's kind of out of date, I always get something out of it because it's like people haven't really changed. Mm -hmm. Concepts haven't changed that much. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. So if you had to give, I just want to wrap this up. If you had to give our listeners, a couple pieces of advice. You know, you talked about how to think about hiring, a couple of frameworks that you use. Like, what what should someone take away today and do to make their culture more open if it's not, or try to get a little bit more diversity in the door? I would say it starts with you, and it's and so uh, it's nobody else is going to do it for you. So if you really are, if you took one thing, uh, be that uh, seed you know, be that seed of change. And I will say plant yourself and you'll grow and everybody will come along. So if this is something that you want to do, and I can go another hour on the benefits of doing this, which we didn't touch on. But uh, if there's one advice and this is something which is good for you, uh, be the champion and you would have to do it. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing your advice and helping us all learn a little bit more about how to hire and be more open. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Meg. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Leave a review, six stars only. Give Build and Pratima a shout out. I want to know how you guys like these episodes. Would love to hear your feedback. As always, please send me a note, maggie at drift.com or hit me up on Twitter at Maggie Crowley. Would love to hear from you. Thanks.